Welcome to Beyond the Benchmark. I'm Daniel Murray. I'm the Global Head of Research and the Deputy CIO. And with me today, I'm very happy to have our Chief Economist, Stefan Gerlach. The reason that we're uh, speaking to you on this podcast is because Stefan and I recently came back from a very interesting trip to the US, where we met with a wide variety of people across central banks, international organisations, private sector economists, lobbyists, and so forth. So we got a really good view of what's going on and in the US economy and uh, in markets. And I also think it's interesting when we do these trips that, you know, one might be able to ascertain the information by reading a sufficient number of reports, but it's always very interesting to speak to people directly and you get a much greater sense of what the emphasis is. And it's also um, a much more efficient way to receive the information. So Stefan, there was lots of talk of recession and will there, won't there be a recession? Um, what, what are your thoughts on recession and, you know, how did you feel that people in the U.S. were thinking about recession? So I thought this was a little bit interesting, uh, actually. The sense I had was that several people said things like, well, you know, I think I'm a little bit more negative or, uh, than others, or I think I might be a bit of an outlier. Um, but I think, uh, I think we might slip into a recession pretty soon. And when there are several people saying pretty much the same thing, so I felt people were were um, a little worried that this would happen, and and uh, I think I myself was a little worried that the U.S. economy would would move in would move in, in that direction. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's right. I think obviously we've had the conversation throughout the year of the difference between leading and lagging indicators. So when we look at things like. Uh, U.S. labor market data, obviously that has been and remains very strong. But when we look at leading indicators, things like some of the PMI data or indeed the leading economic index itself, then they're pointing to uh, a more difficult scenario in the months ahead. So I, I certainly agree with that. And I thought it was also interesting um, what you highlighted about the fact that everybody thought they were an outlier. Everybody thought they had a non-consensus view. And probably a lot of these people don't speak to each other. And they're probably just seeing the markets go up in a straight line at the moment and thinking that no one's really talking about recession. So I thought that sort of contrast between the market reaction, the fact that people aren't really aware of what other analysts and strategists are thinking and saying, I thought that was, uh, that was an interesting dynamic. You know, the benefit of seeing these people within a relatively short space of time is that it allows us to sort of join the dots in a fairly efficient manner, which is uh, always um, a very worthwhile thing to do. The other big topic at the moment, of course, is inflation. Um, we saw, you know, this week we've just seen um, the US CPI data coming a bit, little bit lower than expected. And um, obviously the, the Fed yesterday, and we'll get on to the Fed a bit later, we saw the Fed uh, uh, lower its inflation expectations for this year. Um, you know, what did you feel were the main messages on inflation that came out of our trip? One person summarized it all very nicely, saying that week by week, uh, the indications is that the U.S. economy is slowing, and week by week, inflation looks a little bit less uh, less hot, and uh, uh, inflation seems to be falling, and so on. Uh, so, I, so I felt that that was the uh, also a common view, and that's of course something which is borne out very strongly in the in the data. Inflation inflation seems to be coming down. Of course, it can still bubble up if something happens, but. It seems to be coming down, and that seemed to be uh, reflected in the mood music, I, I felt. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you know, a number of people mentioned um, 
obviously that the trend seems to be pointing in the right direction, but a variety of factors uh, seem to be pointing um, to the slower inflation in the months ahead, whether it's just simply the base effect falling out, whether it's lower commodity prices, whether it's the monetarist angle of slowing money growth. So I think it does all seem to be pointing in that direction. And that's certainly the view that the, um, the Fed seems to share. It's not surprising you raise interest rates by a couple of hundred basis points, and of course you do expect that to impact on on inflation. Um, you do expect that to slow the economy, and I think you're seeing that, and you expect that to impact on inflation, and I think we've we've been seeing that. So, so policy might have played uh, must have played a big role here as well, together with uh, some other factors, including supply constraints sort of gradually disappearing, and uh, and, and so on. No, uh, absolutely. It all seems to be coming together very nicely. And of course, uh, I should probably highlight that's also consistent with what our inflation models have been anticipating. So it's always nice when these uh, statistical models work out well. In terms of the Fed, obviously, inflation is a major factor that drives their decision making. Um, we, uh, you know, we did meet with various representatives from the official sector, including the Fed. What were, do you think, the main messages, not just from the Fed, but also from the other economists that we met with? You know, at any point in time, there are two factors driving any economic forecast, in this case, the forecast for inflation. First of all, we have mean reversion. Inflation, when it's high, people said the forecast is to return to the mean or the average level in the recent past. And when it's very low, the forecast is the opposite. And that points to disinflation uh, going forward here. But there is always the risk of new shocks happening. And I had a little bit the sense that people felt that uh, perhaps the risk to new shocks were not entirely balanced, but there were plainly a risk of of new shocks pushing up uh, inflation. Um, and if that were to happen, of course, I think the Fed would be very quick to react to uh, um, uh, to them. So there, there there remains a potential, I think, a sense that. Um, uh, people anticipate that the Fed could well tighten policy a bit more if, if for some reason, this disinflation path ends up being bumpier than uh, than uh, generally expected now. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And obviously, it's something the market isn't really thinking about. So clearly, not the core view, but definitely a tail risk that perhaps people haven't tried to price in yet. So something to something to watch out for anyway. The other dimension to Fed policy that I thought it was interesting we chatted about with a few people was uh, with regard to the Fed's balance sheet. Um, and, you know, we sometimes think about Fed policy, certainly at the moment, just in terms of rates. But of course, the Fed is at the same time shrinking um, its balance sheets, engaging quantitative tightening. And I think you know, markets have sort of forgotten about that a little bit. But uh, maybe you could sort of summarize the thinking on that from our trip. There was also quite a bit of consensus in that regard. I felt that people were saying, well, the Fed will probably shrink the balance sheet uh, until mid mid next year, late spring, summer, I think many people said. and uh, uh, But then they probably they probably would stop. Um, and perhaps the average shrinkage, the signal would be a little less than 100 billion per month. Um, so that looks like, a, you know, that looks like a... Um, a very plausible scenario, but I, I, I feel a little bit that uh, you know, shrinking the balance sheet has been easier, much easier said than done. We know the Fed has, in the past, had some hiccups in that in that in that area. 
So I, I'm not so. Um, I'm a little worried that it's going to be more difficult uh, than 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 people think. I don't know. Uh, how did you th- uh, see that? No, I think that's right. Obviously, um, you know, QT hasn't been tried really on this scale before. It's an unknown um, factor in markets and in the economy at the moment. And um, I suspect there's a sort of a threshold issue, which is that it doesn't matter. Quantitative doesn't matter until you hit a particular threshold. And then it does matter a lot. So I think, you know, this is something that we saw when the Fed shrunk its balance sheet a little bit um, a few years ago. That it, you know, it did it with relatively little pain and little reaction, and then suddenly um, it started to bite. So I think that's interesting. I thought um, also something that we discussed on our trip with a, a couple of people was the impact of the Fed's balance sheet on uh, things like money market funds and the interaction there with. Um, with repos. And I, I hadn't really thought about that connection before. But um, of course, if the Fed is shrinking its balance sheet, then um, there has to be an offset somewhere in the system. And that offset appears at least partially to have been via an increase in um, allocations to money market funds, which obviously helps explain that sharp increase over the past um, few months. So uh, yeah, lots of interesting dynamics and, and lots of uh, things, you know, that I, I hadn't thought fully about the connections between each of these moving parts before? No, but I think this is sort of an, an area when you have uh, lots of, uh, of connections that uh, perhaps not are that obvious. Uh, that, um, that tends to be a situation where something could go wrong. Uh, when if the system were to come under stress someplace, suddenly something appears to be uh, or, or stops functioning well. So I felt that these... Uh, these sort of um, liquidity technical issues regarding bank behavior, the Fed's balance sheet, and so on and so forth. I felt I felt a little bit uneasy about 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 those, uh, and I'm a little worried that, uh, as, I, as I said, I'm a little worried that the shrinkage of the balance sheet could um, could generate some unexpected uh, unexpected developments. Uh, yeah, I think at the very least, it's something that we need to be on higher alert about. But one of the things I thought was interesting in that context was the fact some people highlighted the fact that um, there's this tension between the Fed wanting to shrink its balance sheet and the regulatory need for banks to retain a lot of liquidity as part of their capital base. And of course, that means that there's a limit to the extent to which the Fed can shrink its balance sheet, but it doesn't always feel like the Fed and the regulators are that well joined up. So again, um, you know, something that we need to be alert to as a potential risk point in markets and the economy in the months ahead. Yes, and I think also there, I mean, that's a situation where bank behavior could uh, throw a, what is it, a wrench in the works. I don't, I don't know what the term is. So if banks worry about about uh, uh, how, much, how much liquidity they might need in the future, um, that could very much impact on their behavior in uh, in, in uh, in money markets and so on and so forth, and and uh, and lead then perhaps to tensions if uh, if the demand for liquidity turns out to be greater than the Fed anticipates. And of course, it's very difficult to figure out exactly how much liquidity uh, markets need at any at any point in time. Uh, so so uh, yeah, this is um, so there are many moving parts here, and we'll see how this how this works out. Yeah, and indeed, I think these issues of financial plumbing they always seem obvious after the event. But beforehand, yes. they're much more difficult to spot. Exactly. Now, this is, I suppose, partly related to Treasury, Treasury issuance and the size of the budget deficit, which is another conversation we 
had with a few people. And I think that's interesting. Obviously, we've seen this phenomenal rally in uh, Treasury yields this week, and in fact, over the past few weeks. And uh, that seems to be at odds with the um, ongoing, you know, sizable budget deficit that the US is running, which, by the way, has apparently uh, very few prospects of diminishing. So, um, you know, what do you think we learned about the budget deficit um, on our trip? I think there is a broadly felt uh, view that it's it's far too large uh, and that this is worrisome. Uh, but uh, I think Rüdiger Dornbusch, the eminent uh, German macroeconomist, said, and I, I, I hope I get this right, if not, you have to correct me, he said something like, uh, like uh, you know, financial tensions or crisis or, 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 or difficult financial situations you can sort of endure longer than you think. But once things start to unravel, they, they happen much faster than, than you think. So I think, I think this, is a, this is another worry the U.S. financial system, these massive, massive budget, uh, massive budget deficits. Uh, and we'll see how this, how this plays itself out. Here I can, one can well imagine that there would be tensions uh, developing. Uh, what was your sense? Yeah, I, I thought there were a couple of interesting points that came across um, that I particularly remember. One was just, you know, the increased share of tax revenue that's going on debt servicing. And uh, it appears that that is at or close to the threshold, so completely consistent with your observation about Dornbush. And um, so it appears that we're at a sort of critical moment here in terms of debt servicing costs. And of course, you know, as the debt is rolled, then those debt servicing costs are going to increase because Obviously, you know, rates are higher than they were last year. So I thought that, you know, that's one point to note in that context. I think um, the other point I thought was interesting was with regard to maturity issuance. So um, uh, a couple of people we spoke to highlighted the fact that Yellen changed the maturity profile of Treasury issuance and issued has issued much more at the shorter end. So whilst that may be more expensive, it has had the benefit of causing the longer end of the curve to rally. And so I thought that was uh, an interesting dynamic. And again, not something that perhaps we would have necessarily picked up on um, by ourselves. Or if we would have picked up on it, it would have taken us a lot more time to think about it. So uh, lots of interesting dynamics, some perhaps more obvious than others, but uh, lots, certainly lots of uh, things to think about there. Of course, the budget deficit is not unrelated to... Um, the impending US election, which came up a lot and perhaps more than I was expecting, given that it's still um, almost a year away. What was your sense for the general perspective on the US election? I actually thought it would come up a bit more. Um, so, uh, I mean, obviously the US is, is um, uh, you know, facing a difficult uh, situation. I mean, you have... Uh, you have two candidates that, that have you are likely to bring very different policies with them if they are elected next next year, and certainly Donald Trump, if he's if he's re-elected president, will 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 introduce quite considerable policy uh, uncertainty. We have to see how this plays itself out. A number of people said that they thought that uh, Trump was ahead in, in polls and uh, would be a very difficult person for for Biden to to beat. Um, but also a number of people said that it will all depend upon 
how the economy evolves over the coming over the coming years and uh, over the coming year and the, between now and the uh, and the um, election. So, I mean, perhaps the soft landing would be would be good uh, for President Biden's uh, re-election chances. Uh, what, what was your sense? How did yeah, you see I, that? I, I felt that. Um there was a general consensus that neither candidate is particularly great and is particularly popular. And I, I thought that we heard uh, people who we know to be strong Republican supporters not very keen on Trump and people who we equally know to be strong Democrat reporters not very keen on Biden. At the moment, there doesn't seem to be any uh, serious alternative, although that, that could happen. There's quite a long way to go now before the run-in. But I felt there was just a general sense of disappointment with the political process in the US. I, I guess a couple of other reflections, um, one of which is my own and one of which was discussed. The one that was discussed with people was the possibility of there being a third candidate. So the obvious one is Robert Kennedy. And that third candidate could potentially take votes from one of the other candidates and make it a, a more complicated election than normal. It won't simply be a two-horse race. And I think it was felt that Trump would be the major loser and Biden would be the major beneficiary of that, which was interesting. Um, and uh, connected with that was also the possibility of um, this third candidate, if he or she were to exist, um, creating a situation where neither of the main parties neither of the, the candidates of the main parties attracted 270 votes in the Electoral College. And that, I'm not sure when that last happened, but that would be a very unusual event and uh, would obviously create a lot of political uncertainty in the US, I'm sure, you know, something markets are looking about. So I don't think markets are really thinking about these things at the moment, but um, something that was highlighted to us. I think, you know, the thought that I had reflecting on discussions we had on US, US politics was that actually... Often candidates do come out of nowhere. It's, it doesn't usually happen when you have an incumbent, but it's not impossible. So I think, for example, Obama at this stage of the campaign was very much an underdog. I think um, Clinton as well was very much an underdog. So it's not impossible that, uh, particularly if Biden has health problems and finds an excuse to step down, it's not impossible that we would see a name that isn't on everybody's lips at the moment actually put up a, a strong running for the uh, the election next year. So I think lots still to play for in that regard. No one really knows, but there is this general sense of disappointment in the overall process. Yeah, these are two quite uh, quite uh, elderly men, and there's always the risk of uh, that a health issue may appear and, uh, and so on. So we have, we have to see what uh, how this how this plays itself uh, out. But I think you're quite right. People were not enthusiastic about uh, either candidate. I think that I felt that they each had quite uh, marked shortcomings. So yeah, we have to see what uh, what happens. Also, the possibility, of course, that Mr. Trump is in prison. Although I believe that wouldn't prevent him from being president, which seems incredible. But um, but there we go. Here's a possibility. Why don't we, you know move on to geopolitics, which is something we talked about with a few people. It's obviously quite high up the list of uh, subjects at the moment. Did you get a sense that people were particularly concerned about the geopolitical situation? You know, the US is often quite 
inward looking, but you know, how do you feel people are thinking about, you know, whether it's the situation in Ukraine or the situation in the Middle East? I had expected more concern in this area as, uh, as well. There are obvious tensions between the U.S. and China, and partially about about Taiwan, but also related to trade policy and so on and so forth. So there, there we have we have we have tensions. We have we consider, I mean, to continue in Asia. We have North Korea with uh, trying to gain a nuclear a nuclear capacity. We have tensions so we, uh, in the Middle East. Uh, we have the war in Ukraine. I mean, there's no lack of big, uh, or big, uh, or big problems um, that could all uh, trigger some major, even even major, or even sort of global uh, turbulence. Uh, so I had thought people would be more concerned about about this, and but uh, they they, uh, they they seem not to be. Uh, so, so, yeah, that was a bit surprising. What was your sense? No, I, I completely agree. I thought people didn't mention it generally unless we prompted them. And when we prompted them, it was tended to be a relatively brief conversation. And, you know, perhaps that's reflected in the market reaction to geopolitics, which obviously has been relatively muted, despite you know, what have been quite major events over the past um, couple of months. So I, I thought that was that was very interesting. You mentioned China. That obviously is a little bit more market moving, and you uh, sort of alluded to the upcoming Taiwanese election. Um, and one wonders if that could be a geopolitical event that the market would pay a bit more attention to, not least perhaps because of the potential disruption to semiconductor supplies. But uh, you know, at the moment, other than that, you know, people weren't really talking too much about geopolitics. We did though. No, but the- Sorry, there was quite a bit. Uh, I felt, uh, I mean, staying with China, I felt there was uh, there was a sense that the uh, Chinese authorities were battling very serious economic uh, difficulties, the headwinds, if you like, and and uh, these tended to be interrelated and uh, and uh, not easy to deal with. Did you get a sense about how they? How the authorities might be out to might, might be trying to tackle all these difficulties. Yeah, the overall message I got from that was clearly that they are, you know, at a very high level. They're trying to balance the need to deliver and sort out housing sector problems against their you know, desire still to foster social harmony. And to foster social harmony, they need to have growth above a certain rate. So I think they're trying to balance quite a complicated set of situations here. I think the impression I got is that they will offer or they want to offer more help to local governments because local governments are really in the eye of the storm when it comes to that sort of interaction and uh, crossover between stimulus, um, housing and leveraging. So I think you know, sorting out local government finances is a key part of China resolving its current problems. and. At the moment, the authorities seem to be moving pretty slowly. So it's, uh, yeah, we're hopeful that there'll be more, but at the moment, they're not really delivering. It does seem to be the case that the problems are recognised, and I think that is very important. And I felt that people thought that that uh, the Chinese authorities would 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 tackle these, uh, and, and so I was I thought that was that was encouraging. But we have to see what what happens. I think. 
if we ha- if you have geopolitical tensions on top of economic uh, headwinds, that's a that's not a very good situation to be in. So hopefully that could uh, that could be avoided. Uh, agreed. It's, it's also see hard to disentangle the two. Sometimes the political problems are because of economic problems, and sometimes economic problems are. Um, uh, magnified because of political problems, so it can be quite hard to uh, you know, split out cause and effect and the signal from the noise and so forth. Uh, I thought, um, you know, we had a couple of brief discussions on other emerging markets and emerging markets more generally, and we heard the view, which again I hadn't really consciously thought about, but which I think is is very um, observant, which is that actually the experience across emerging markets has been very different in 2023. And rather paradoxically, the those emerging markets that we tend to think of as more vulnerable actually have had a relatively decent 2023. Whereas those emerging markets that we tend to think of as a little bit less vulnerable, a little bit stronger, they have been a bit more challenged by, by conditions in 2023. Uh, did you also get that impression? Yes, very much so. I mean, there was quite a bit of talk about uh, Latin America doing well and Asia not uh, doing so well. And I, I felt this view that uh, I think a few people expressed that Latin American central banks had tightened monetary policy quite early, a year before central banks in Europe and, and, and so, and were on the way of, of uh, relaxing monetary policy now. Uh, I thought that was very a very interesting point, which I hadn't thought about. And of course, this is will it will be helpful if, if you are early in, in tightening monetary policy. You do have the benefit that you can probably also cut interest rates early, and that may provide a floor uh, to the economy. So yeah, I felt that was uh, that was very interesting, and also not something that I had noticed uh, myself. I must I must I must say. Oh, no, I think that's right. I think as well. Uh, someone we spoke to made the observation about how with stronger commodity markets, or at least in the first part of last year, that too would have provided a bit of a tailwind to some of the Latin American economies more than perhaps some of the Asian economies. So, yeah, very interesting and um, certainly provides us with a new framework to help think about emerging markets more more broadly. Um, Perhaps we could just move on to Japan. So, Japan has obviously it's been a great year for the stock market the monetary policy cycle is appears to be um, dancing to the rhythm of a different drumbeat at the moment to much of the rest of the world and we had a a couple of conversations of Japan that's just at the edge of um, the broader conversations we had What, what was your sense about the general views and thoughts on Japan? Well, I thought the, uh, the depreciation or the weakness of the Japanese yen uh, was something several people noticed and how that had uh, uh, stimulated the economy. There was a lot of talk about tourist spending and so on, uh, so forth in, uh, in, uh, in Japan. And I felt that it was a general sense that at some stage it can't be too far off. The Bank of Japan has to do something with uh, with monetary policy, uh, they still have a negative interest uh, rate, uh, not very negative, but still it's, it's, it's below zero. Uh, minus 10 basis points is the target. And inflation is, is, quite, is quite strong. And it, I mean, they, they, I think they worry, Bank of Japan worries that inflation might just, might just fade away unless policy is so 
expansionary. But it's sort of at some stage you do have to you do have to uh, adjust. They, it's the only major central bank that didn't raise interest rates so far. How did you see that? Yeah, I think that's right. There's generally a sense that things are changing in Japan. Certainly, the weaker yen and its very positive impact on tourism uh, appears to be a strong factor. But also, you know, the Bank of Japan has been in this situation for the past 25, 30 years where it's, it's been really hard to tighten policy in any way, shape or form. It's been using its balance sheet very aggressively for decades. And suddenly one feels that we're at the, uh, you know, the precipice of a, a major shift in uh, the Japanese economy, and that's going to be reflected in a major shift in the way the Bank of Japan operates. So I felt really meaningful change, and perhaps one of the stories I wasn't expecting to hear about in the US. Um, and obviously notable that since we've come back from the US, um, there's been building speculation about the Bank of Japan um, starting to hike rates pretty soon, possibly as early as next week. Yes, and I think that is something that... Uh has the potential of really unsettling markets uh, if, if this happens in an unexpected way or if it, uh, yeah, if it plays itself out in another way than the markets are anticipating. So I think that's something one has to watch very closely. I completely agree. I think we'll call it a day there. Stefan, thank you very much for joining me. It's been, been great to chat and to recall some of the highlights of the trip we faced. As I said, I think it's always incredibly informative for us to go on these trips and just gives us an opportunity to join the dots between the various different messages we hear and just to um, consume a vast amount of information in a very short space of time. So it's, it's very interesting for us. I hope that you have found it interesting to listen to us chatting about these things. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact your EFG representative. Um, in the meantime, this has been Beyond the Benchmark. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>